Hey y'all, I'm Mary Payne Gilbert and welcome to Pain in the Pod. Before I welcome my guest, I just want to give y'all a quick reminder that Pain in the Pod is now on Patreon. What is Patreon, you might ask? Okay, it's a place where podcasters can offer additional bonus content. My Patreon has additional interviews from people I've spoken to on the podcast and interviews with people who are not necessarily in the podcast world. So go on over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com com slash pain in the pod to check it out. And I thank you very much in advance. Okay, now to my guest. Today's guest is Matt Frederick of the podcast Monster, the Zodiac Killer. So this podcast had two, has had two seasons. The first season focused on the Atlanta child murders, and the second season was all about the Zodiac Killer. So we all know that I love a serial killer story, and the Zodiac Killer is obviously a very famous one that most people know about, mostly because it's still unsolved and there's lots of theories about it. So I was very, very drawn into this podcast. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Mary Jane. Hey. Okay, first of all, I want to know um, how you got involved, a couple of things, with um, Payne Lindsay, who, who everybody knows, um, pay, well, m- anybody that listens to podcasts knows, uh, how you got involved with Payne Lindsay and his network, and then how did you decide to focus on the Zodiac Killer case? Absolutely. So I have to give you a bit of my backstory, and I hope I'm not going to bore too many people, but let's just start back in 2006 when I started at this website called How Stuff Works. I uh-huh, was in, right. just out of college. I was an intern, and I back then we were focusing on articles, and we were starting to do videos. So I came on to make some videos. And uh, a couple of years later, we started figuring out what a podcast could be and how we could maybe use this audio medium to get people to come to our website. And that's kind of how we thought about it back then. And, you know, since then, it's just been evolving over, uh, you know, a decade plus three. And uh, I started working on podcasts and I made this show called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And it was um, a video show back then. Then it turned into an audio podcast. And in it, it's really a a critical thinking look at mysteries, uh, conspiracies, folklore, all kinds of stuff like that, and especially unsolved crimes. And I've been making that show now for, for goodness, uh, 10, 11 years. And and, uh, along with with my friend Ben Bolin, he's the co-creator, and then Noel Brown joined us on the audio podcast. And... uh, we, we started making more connections in the podcast world as we were becoming kind of a bigger player in that space, how stuff works as an entity. And we ended up realizing that in the same building where we produce things, it's a place called Pont City Market in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. There was another group of podcasters who were making a show called Up and Vanished. And mm-hmm. they were just a few floors above us. Uh, and we ended up having a meeting with them. Uh, and we realized, wow, we could be working together to make shows. And we tried to come up with, you know, a concept for what a show would be. And after, you know, several talks, the, uh, the Atlanta missing and murdered case, we realized that not enough people were, it wasn't in our consciousness enough, I guess, anymore. It was something that was still somewhat unsolved, very much unsolved, actually, for a lot of the victims. And even though there was a person in jail, you know, who was supposedly responsible for for killing all of these children in Atlanta, there were so many questions that remained, we felt like it was important enough to to explore it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, yeah, we we ended up joining forces. And I was a supervising producer on that. 
And another producer here named Alex Williams and I would stay up late into the night finishing those episodes, making sure they sounded great, making sure the interviews were correct. And um, But a lot of the work was done uh, on that show by, by Payne Lindsay himself, by Donald Albright, and by Meredith Stedman, uh, who's a producer there. And um, yeah, I, I can't say enough about how proud I am of that show and just the work that went into it and speaking to, you know, victims, families and people who were involved and really trying to tell that story as fully as we could. Wow. Okay. And so you go from one unsolved, I mean, I would say the Atlanta child murders were still unsolved because there's so many questions. So you go from that to the Zodiac killer case. How did you decide like, okay, let's, let's go into another extremely hard unsolved case. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. We went even further back in time. Uh, cause the, the Atlanta missing murders is around 79 to like 81 ish. And, uh, then we went back to 1968 and perhaps even before that. And, With the Zodiac Killer, it's one of those stories that's been with us, I guess, in the zeitgeist for so long, particularly because of that 2007 David Fincher movie. Right. It it kind of had a resurgence. Mm -hmm. But since 1985, 1986, roughly, uh, when the it's called The Yellow Book or it's referred to as The Yellow Book, um, Zodiac by Robert Graysmith, that was also kind of one of the main points of or the main times of Zodiac uh, interest that was around. Mm-hmm. And when we were thinking about this, I th- if you talk to Payne and some of the Tenderfoot team, as well as myself uh, and a man named Jason Hoke, who was the executive producer working on that show in the beginning, it was the image, the image of the Zodiac at Lake Berryessa where he's wearing that executioner's hood Yes. And uh, he has he has a knife and he has a gun and he's tied up that that young couple there and uh, Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell. It, that image stuck with us so hard. And just knowing that that person may still be out there, knowing that that person in the very least was never brought to justice for what he did. Uh, we felt like it, that alone was enough to explore this. And then, we, you know, when you dive into something like the Zodiac case you realize how robust it is, like how, how many avenues there are to explore, at least in the beginning, even just from looking at the, the case files, you know, the original reporting on this. Um, and then it just gets deeper and deeper as you start looking at all the alternative stuff that comes along, um, things that are even harder to prove. Right. Well, I was going to ask you, because once you sort of, you know, wade into that pool you know, I, I can imagine pretty quick you feel like you're drowning because there's so much there. And then once you go one direction, uh, you know, you have to go four other directions. It just seems like there's there's so many different avenues. You know, it seems like from what I've heard in my life, like, okay, well, it was definitely this one guy and then he died. But really, that's not it at all. It, it seems like probably not that one guy. And then could be this guy, could be this guy, this person said they knew. And then you have to go into, that goes into my next question, which is the podcast is laid out in such a way, and there's 13 episodes, that you learn more about each specific crime. But what you learn a lot about in your podcast is the people behind the scenes. So it's the people trying to break the code, the press, the detectives. So what do you think it was about this case 
that got so in the heads of all these people? Was it the code aspect of it? Was it the taunting of the press aspect of it? What do you think? I, I think at the heart of it, it's it's the it's a really a combination of all those things. But but at the very heart, it's the interaction with a killer uh, or of a killer with the press, and then the press having to make that decision of do we or do we not publish this? Is it is it in the public's interest? Is it more in the public's interest to have this published or not? Basically, um, and then the interactions that occur there where. It's not as though um, it's one killer interacting with a police department and it's taunting, you know, there's taunting going on there or something of, you know, you can maybe you can catch me. He's taunting the public themselves. So it, it immediately involves everyone in the San Francisco Bay Area and the surrounding areas in this weird uh, game of fear and torment that whoever this is is playing. Um and then, you know, you add that into the code breaking aspect, the the possibility of, hey, now that this thing has been published, maybe I can figure it out. Right. right. I mean, the, the individual person sitting there like that couple who ended up solving one of the first ciphers. Um, and it's just through their own tenacity and, and time they actually did it. And, you know, I, I think I think the specter of an unknown killer mixed with. Um, mixed with the, that taunting just really does, it does something, um, it does something to the individual psyche of, that is so nefarious. It really is that, um, that the unknown that's just lurking out there anywhere. It could be anyone, uh, any, like literally anyone could have been the Zodiac at that time, right. at least in your mind. Right. Um, that's a terrible thing. Yeah, it was so interesting is, is with all these um, cases or the ones at least that he fessed up to that they said, you know, there could be many, many more. But the ones that they knew for sure was him because he would then, you know, write the press letters and let you know that he did it. Um, he never covered his face except for only that one. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that strange? Yeah. It was like he was like, well, maybe I'll test this out. Eh, I didn't really like that. <laughs> You know, well, yeah. yeah, we discussed we discussed in the show and then outside of the show a little bit more about the escalation of the known attacks from December 20th, 1968, all the way up to October 11th, 1969. And, you know, how it was originally a lover's lane or two two places where young people congregate in their vehicles. Right. That's the, the two attacks that started the whole thing. Then the Lake Berryessa attack where he, his face is covered. And we discussed how the, the press, his interactions with the press and the amount of press that his killings are getting as that's escalating, he's trying to become more and more elusive, more and more anonymous. Um, it was a bit more brazen in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then you finally get to the Presidio Heights murder of Paul Stein, uh, on October 11th, 1969. That's when, you know, he kills a, a taxi driver, and then just walks away in this populated neighborhood, you know, in the middle of uh, uh, an upper class area of San Francisco. And it, all of it, my biggest problem, Mary Payne, is that none of it makes rational sense to me. And I, and I guess that's, that's my bad for trying to rationalize someone who is, by the very nature of their actions, irrational. Right. Um, but it, it just doesn't make much sense to me. 
Yes. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the people that are fans of this killer. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Okay, we're back. And so you were saying how it's hard for you to think rationally and I do that a lot in my life, like uh, with my kids or something. I'll say this, why would you do? And then you think like, why am I putting rational thoughts onto a, a child who doesn't think the same way I do? <laughs> so you know what I mean? So it's the same, it's the same kind of idea. Like you wouldn't think that, or if you were a serial killer, you wouldn't choose a bunch of different people, you know? And then you think, what am I, what am I saying? So yeah. there's um, the case really, you know, does get into your head that way. And so, I would like to talk about you guys did a, a pretty good bit on the fans. So these people have like true crime fan clubs about the Zodiac. And they do things like go to um, the sites of where the murders took place. And then, of course, all the people still obviously trying to decipher all the letters and uh, conspiracy theories and now, me, myself, I'm very interested in true crime. I read books. I listen to podcasts upon podcast. I watch shows. I watch documentaries. I watch movies. I think I do everything, but I don't think I would join a fan club. Yeah. So, so what, what did you, as a rational thinking person, think of that? Well, there are a couple of things here. I don't know that I would necessarily categorize them as fan clubs. I, I think if you, when we, I, I when, think that's for lack of a better term. You I, know? I, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, and I, I totally get um, that understanding of it. It's just um, we worked so closely with Michael Butterfield of ZodiacKillerFacts.com to make this show. Mm-hmm. We also spoke several times with Tom Voigt of ZodiacKiller.com, and that website in particular, ZodiacKiller.com has a a message board where people will go on and just discuss at length any, anything that crops up with regards to the case. And the, the people on that message board, at least the ones who've been around for, you know, years and years and years, um, including Tom Boyd, including Michael Butterfield, uh, they really see themselves as independent investigators and they, they really do. And they have been instrumental in uncovering new things um, as a, as a group, if you you know if you would consider them a a group or a club of some sort, um, but individually the the research that they do and the amount of time they spend with some of these documents and chasing leads, it really has been one of the only reasons new information has come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and to an extent, there is it's something we talk about in the show quite a bit. There is almost an inherent obsession. Or there's, there's an obsession that forms early on when you're looking into this case at any length where all, there's so many questions that remain and avenues to explore that if you don't explore everything, it feels like you're missing something or it feels like the truth is just around the next corner or just a c- couple of clicks away you know, yeah, on, yes. on a browser or something. And I, I would say that, you know, 
even before the internet that has been occurring. Well, definitely before the internet that has been occurring where people have been writing books about this. And, you know, again, uh, like Tom Voigt creating an entire website dedicated to it, or Michael Butterfield creating an entire uh, website dedicated to it. And there are, there are so many three dimensional characters out there that exist in that world um, that we, you know, we didn't get to really expound on many others, but um, just, I, I won't, Keep going here, I promise. Um, the last thing is when uh, when Trevor Young, one of the producers who was working on the show with us, we had a tremendous team, uh, Miranda Hawkins, Ben Kiebrick, Josh Thane, Jason Hoke again, uh, Trevor Young. It, Trevor and I went out to the, it was the 50th anniversary, and we put some of this in the podcast, of the Lake Herman Road attacks on December 20th, 1968. So it was just 2018. And we went out there and the sincerity, I, I would say in general, the sincerity uh, that these people had in their um, feelings toward Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday, who were killed on that day, you know, 50 years ago on that site, um, it was, I could feel it. it. I had an emotional reaction to it, um, especially when they were laying down crosses and they were saying kind things and um, memorializing these people. Um, there's something that goes beyond just being obsessed with the Zodiac killer, right? Right. It's, it's, uh, it's an encapsulation of feeling for the victims, being interested in the mystery and also wanting to bring somebody to justice. Right. It's honoring the victims. And I understand that, uh, you know, it's interesting you're saying all that. Cause I'm thinking about, um, when Payne did up and vanish, you know, he did get a lot of information, just people sending him Facebook messages. And I think we're in just such a different world that online sleuths, you know, various Reddit pages and whatnot, you know, really do come up with new information that the police didn't come up with, you know, and it is just a whole new world we're living in. Oh, absolutely. When we were making Atlanta monster, our call in number was ringing constantly with people who wanted to tell us about their encounter with Wayne Williams or their encounter with somebody who was not Wayne Williams, who did something very similar to what was supposedly uh, being done by Wayne Williams. It was yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, I spoke with a podcaster who said, it's like when you used to watch America's Most Wanted and at the end they would say, call this tip line, you know, 1-800, and they would give you an 800 number because if you had, it was a regular phone number, it would cost money. So it was an 800 number and then people would call in. So they were saying like, you know, these days the internet and Reddit and stuff, that's the same as like an online call in line, you know, for people, yeah. for people to give tips. I thought that was like, you know, for, for a, someone like me, I'm like, oh yeah, that resonates. Cause I can remember loving that show. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned Robert Graysmith's book. So that's, um, that's what the movie Zodiac was based on, right? It was based, Jake Gyllenhaal played Robert Graysmith. Yes, primarily that's what it's based on. Yeah, and so his whole theory for most of his life, I mean, he's still alive, but I I think he's been swayed a little bit in the last few years, but he was convinced that the Zodiac was a guy named Arthur Lee Allen who died at age 58. Something I found interesting was Arthur Lee Allen was a huge guy, 6'5", 250. I mean, that's huge. I mean, he was obviously sort of a weirdo and, you know, possibly a pedophile. And there was a lot of evidence that pointed at him. And and he wasn't, you know, a choir boy by any stretch. But the eyewitnesses never mentioned him being this huge person, which to be, you know, would be a 
immediate descriptor. The shoe prints didn't match, and the handwriting experts all said that no handwriting matched at all, even if he was trying to disguise it or write with his other hand or whatever. So most people don't think it was him. So what is your thought on Arthur Lee Allen? How did you feel? Did you feel like he didn't get a fair shake? Well, okay. He, oh man, uh, speaking of three-dimensional characters that are flawed in many ways. Um, yeah, he, a lot of people we talked to, a lot of people that Michael Butterfield talked to about uh, this man, about Arthur Lee Allen, um, I came away with a picture of a man that had a lot of issues. Again, was probably at least uh, he did some nefarious things with children for sure. Uh, at least that's what we've gathered. He had a lot of weird stuff in the various places where he lived when they were searched. He had some similarities, some weird things going on with him. He seemed suspicious, right? But, and this is a big but, almost all of the Zodiac-related stuff with him came from stories told by a former friend of his named John Cheney, D-O-N Cheney. Mm-hmm. And that that relationship, the nature of their relationship and how it ended, essentially, is what really comes into question. Why would this guy say all of these things about his former friend? And does he have any motive to you know, lie about his friend because his friend did something perhaps bad or was trying to do something bad to his children? Right. Um, that, that really, I, I spoke with Michael Butterfield about this quite extensively while we were in New York City for, for an event after the show had wrapped. And man, it just, um, I, I really question everything now with regards to Arthur Lee Allen. But I, I think in the end, he probably had this, and this is just me uh, speculating completely, but I think Arthur Lee Allen probably thought the attention itself as a, um, as an objective thing, the attention, having his name out there, being talked about, people caring about what he was doing or, you know, who he was, was probably a positive thing, but everything else related to that attention and the true nature of that attention was terrible for him. And I think he played a bit of a game, um, with that attention, whether, whether maybe he even knew it or not, where it was almost this, you hear him, you know, expressing over and over and over again, I'm not the Zodiac in some interviews that he did later in his life, uh, you know, telling investigators, telling the press, no, I'm, I'm not a major suspect. I am not the guy. I'm not the guy. But at the same time, when he gets the, he got a letter or he made a letter, if there's speculation on whether or not he actually created this letter or some version of it was given to him where he was exonerated as a letter stating that he was exonerated from being the Zodiac killer in this one area. Mm-hmm. And uh, he showed it to one, one guy that we interviewed who knew Arthur Lee Allen back in, uh, uh, back in the day, I guess. Anyway, he, he was shown this letter that said, yay. Hey, look, I'm not the Zodiac. Um, he was, he was interested in that, um, in showing it off in a way, I guess. I don't, I'm sorry. I know I'm rambling here a bit. It's just, Arthur no, Allen, I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're saying that he liked the attention, but he didn't quite get that it was really negative attention. Well, well he didn't understand the gravity, I guess, May- or maybe he did, but he liked it enough that it was worth it. Uh, it's it's tough to say. In in my opinion, Arthur Lee Allen is not the guy. 
or and if he was the guy, maybe maybe he committed one offense or something. Um, like I, that's a, that's the biggest I would give uh, to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. My thought is is that the Zodiac wanted the attention so bad. It wanted. It was like even if he put the, his name in those letters in code, I don't think it would be the true name. I think he was really enjoying the game of it with the police and the press as much as he was enjoying the killing people part. He enjoyed the whole thing of it. Um, so it seems to me the Zodiac would want the world to know. So if the Zodiac assume now would be 80 something years old and perhaps is dead, would have made some deathbed confession. Yeah, that's a possibility, right? Yeah. Um, we several times I've talked about I, I have this uh, inner fantasy this I imagine that perhaps the Zodiac killer whoever this person is is in some kind of uh, retirement community perhaps uh, you know a nursing home of some sort just sitting there and listening to the show um, and kind of laughing at us at getting so many things wrong um, <laughs> yeah and, and that's a terrifying but also uh, intriguing thought. It's in all likelihood, whoever this person was got caught up in something else and was arrested and maybe never said anything or, you know, they they just passed away at some point or they were one of the, you know, one of the minor suspects over the years who passed away. Yeah. Um, or maybe it was Arthur Lee Allen. He was just so good at what he was doing that he f- even fooled me, uh, perhaps. I, I honestly don't know. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break and then we're going to talk about the current status of the case. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back and we're talking about Arthur Lee Allen did um, pass away. And so we're, you know, we're saying, I mean, it it could be anybody. It could be, it could be, it still could be anybody, I think. And so what's the current status of the case? And, you know, of course, with the, the arrest of the Golden State Killer, people are, of course, thinking, well, maybe this will also solve the Zodiac with the DNA testing. So what's going on with that? So uh, in Vallejo, right now in Vallejo, California, where where some of the correspondence occurred there, where letters were sent to the, the Vallejo Times-Herald, uh, and as well as in San Francisco, you know, where the San Francisco Chronicle received letters, there are there are pieces of evidence that may still include a DNA sample. And in Vallejo in particular, uh, a couple of these pieces of correspondence have been sent away for testing. And really what that, that sounds really hopeful, right? But ultimately that means they're attempting to get some kind of DNA 
uh, sample off of saliva that was applied via one of the uh, the two mechanisms, right? The stamp that you lick right. to put on there mm-hmm. and or the envelope that you lick to seal. And the likelihood that a viable testable sample of DNA is on those is fairly small, unfortunately, simply because of the amount of time and the nature of storing something like that and how it degrades over that time. Um, but we do know for sure that Vallejo has been testing. They've been sending things off for testing and they were doing that as we were making the show and we've yet to hear anything. Uh, we've been in contact with the Vallejo police department as well as the Vallejo times Herald, as well as, um, the, um, the hall of justice over there in San Francisco where, where the San Francisco police department is based. And there are still homicide detectives who have this case open you know, who are sitting there trying to do anything they can with it. But at this point, it's so old and it's so cold. The viability for for having a concrete answer and getting a DNA sample is it's fairly small. Hmm. And, and just one one last thing there, Mary Payne, if you do get a viable DNA sample off of one of those pieces of correspondence, uh, I would pose this question to you. How do you prove that the killer is the one that licked the stamp and licked the envelope? Um, I don't know because, I mean, what do you think he handed it to his wife and was like, hey, lick this? Well, here, here's, <laughs> something, here's, something that I didn't, here's something I didn't realize. Um, and again, this is because I was born in 1983, so I, don't, uh, I oh, maybe God. missed out on quite a bit of this. God bless you. So young. So young. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it doesn't feel that young at 35, <laughs> but I hear you. Thank you. Um, I didn't realize that oftentimes that act of putting the stamp on the envelope and actually sealing the envelope many times wouldn't happen by the person uh, writing the letter. It would if you were doing it at your home or some, you know, your whatever your domicile is, your apartment, and, you know, you seal it all up, you put the stamp on, and you put it in a mailbox on the street somewhere. But if you take it to a post office, a lot of times, if you just hand, you know, uh, an unsealed letter or something and, you know, say, I'd like to have this uh, sent out, that act would actually be done by the staff. And this is something that I didn't understand that actually occurred in places. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that could happen or would happen. And, the, and there were, you know, anyway, there, there are a lot of things in there that are what ifs, right? Um, in all likelihood, whoever made those letters sealed the envelopes themselves and put the stamps on themselves. Uh, but then you also have to prove and somehow match that DNA up with one of the deaths, right? Because just because you proved that somebody wrote this letter and had information about the murder, you're not actually linking them up to the murder physically, right? Right. So then it, it all becomes this uh, web of, of, uh, circumstance. And that's what this entire case is. It's a giant web of circumstances that, that each person who looks at it is trying to make a picture out of all this circumstantial evidence. And, uh, (laughs) it's tough to find the spider at the center of that web. If, uh, if the picture is so unclear. Yeah. And you kind of blew my mind with that stamp thing, because I'm just thinking of, um, you know, back in the day, I'd go with my mom when I was little to the post office and she would just hand our mail over and pay for it. So, but I can't remember if she had put the stamps on or not. Maybe she just handed it over and then they just 
stamped it for her, you know? Yeah, so, well, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And the Don Chaney even mentioned in one of the, the DVD extras of the Zodiac 2007 movie, mm-hmm. Don Chaney, the friend of Arthur, Arthur Lee Allen, mentioned offhandedly that uh, Arthur Lee Allen asked him to lick some stamps and envelopes for him. So, like, Arthur Lee Allen asked Don Chaney to do it. Weird. Um, right? It seems a little weird. Um, yeah, because they didn't know about DNA back then. That, you know? I, I don't know. It's just there. there's so many oddities with that relationship, those two men, that uh, it certainly piques my interest. Gosh. So it's it's been 50 years since um, the Zodiac Killer's first killing. And the reason I know this is because it started in 1968, and that's the year I was born. So, uh, so I've, I'm 50. This case is 50. And so it all sort of gels in my mind. But um, – so it's been 50 years since the first killing, but it's still not solved. So are you going to keep following it? I know you're working on some other things that I want you to tell me about, but will you keep following it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, no matter what uh, I'm doing in podcast land, no, no matter uh, where my family is, where what we're doing, I will always have this in the back of my mind. And if any story comes up or if any you know, anyone reaches out via all the various ways, uh, I'm, I will look into things. So yeah, it's never going to leave me. And you can keep updating, uh, the podcast if some new information breaks. Oh yeah. When, if anything comes out, I'm, we'll be the first ones to put something out there. Oh, so tell me now, I know that you, you work for, um, a big podcast company. So tell me what, if you can, if it's not a secret, tell me what podcast you're working on now. Sure. So I'm an executive producer here at the iHeart, I guess it's called the iHeart Podcast Network, part of iHeart Radio. And we were formerly How Stuff Works and Stuff Media. And we went by, we've gone by several names at this point. Mm-hmm. And it, part of my job is to work closely with the Tenderfoot TV team, the Up and Vanished creators, uh, and as well as to work with Aaron Mankey, who creates Lore. And he, yes. uh, he and I and another producer here, Alex Williams, create a bunch of shows. One of them is Cabinet of Curiosities, another Aaron Mankey's Cabinet of Curiosities. There's also Unobscured. Uh, we've, we've been working on a lot of new projects that are going to be coming out later this year, uh, those two teams and I. Um, the first one is coming out later this month in June. It's called Insomniac. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is the most intense show I've ever worked on. Oh no! Tell me, um, tell me what it's about. Uh, well, this is—I think this is going to be the first time anyone's talking about it. Ooh, it's, um, a, it's a scoop. It is a bit of a scoop. There's this uh, gentleman that I've worked with for many, many years here at the podcast network. He's been a host of a show called Car Stuff for a long, long time. Uh huh. And his name is Scott Benjamin. He played or he portrayed the Zodiac in Monster the Zodiac Killer. So every time you hear this is the Zodiac speaking, this is uh, this gentleman's voice. Oh, wow. Okay. And yes, and he has a new show coming out. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's a personal journey into him looking into several lesser known serial killers and murderers, uh, looking into their stories and how that darkness uh, consumed him a little bit. And it's a true story. It's very personal, and it's unlike anything uh, that we've ever made before. So I, I look forward to sharing that with the world and seeing what people think. 
Okay. And that's not insomniac. That's something different. That's called insomnia. Oh, that is yeah. called insomnia. Okay. That's yeah. the same thing. Okay. Well, that really, really sounds like somebody I would want to talk to too. I mean, yes. selfishly, <laughs> I would like to talk to him as well. That sounds great. Oh, yeah. And, then, and, uh, and just give you one more if that's okay. Yeah, please. Just, uh, so that's – we're making that one with Tenderfoot TV. And the the other show that we're making with Aaron Mankey is, is called – well, it, I'm going to say it's – I'm going to say it's untitled right now. We've got several titles that are up in the air depending on what we land on. It's coming out in July. But it's, it's a show that we're making with someone named Dana Schwartz mm-hmm. who is an amazing writer. Um, she's got several books that have already published. She's got a new book coming out and she's awesome on Twitter. Um, but she is fascinated by royalty and nobles and, uh, lives of people in those upper echelons over the course of all these millennia Mm -hmm. and the darker stories that exist in their lives. So it's almost, it's basically a true crime telling of, uh, royalty. Um, in these stories in, in a very similar vein of lore, uh, Aaron Mankey's show, where it's just one person kind of carrying you through the story. And it's, oh, it's so good. I can't wait for people to hear that one too. I have a couple of friends that are very into history and royalty and anything involving any type of, you know, <laughs> you could you could say King Edward, King George, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Victoria, and it doesn't matter. You put queen or king or prince or duke of something in front of it, and they're like, I'm in. They don't care if it's true or not. So they, they would, uh, I have lots and lots of friends that would like that. I enjoy royalty stories as well, but I'm more of a, like a, a current royal watcher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you excited about the new baby? I don't know much about it, but um, I just I, know his name is Archie, <laughs> and people hate that, but I think it's really cute. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Oh my gosh! So, we, we, listen. I know that it sounds like I mean I've just counted like twenty six podcasts that you're working on, but do you ever listen to any just in your spare time? I mean, or are you by the end of the day like? Zero, no podcast for me. <laughs> well, by the, by the nature of my job here and the subjects that I end up talking about and researching day in and day out, most of the podcasts I listen to are comedic in nature, something that's going to be lighthearted and make me laugh on the way home so I can get back to my family life, you know, kind of separate the two things. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm into the big hits, the, the comedy bang bangs and Ron Burgundy podcasts and uh, like what is another good one? How did this get made? Is one of my absolute favorites. A lot of the Earwolf Network, and uh, even our LA team, part of this podcast network, our LA team who makes the Daily Zeitgeist, who makes Culture Kings. There are a lot of these podcasts that are just lighthearted and fun, and I don't have to think about murderers and murder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, give me those all day long, please. And that's funny because I'm the opposite to sort of um, relax and get my mind off of life. I listen to murder podcasts. <laughs> to, to each their own, Mary Payne. Yeah. And my husband's like, I don't understand. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, just put on a murder podcast. I could take a nap. I could listen to it. It's it's probably not <laughs> something's wrong with me. Uh, that's um, awesome. It's usually because the voices are so soothing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, okay. All right. So here I've got um, stuff they don't want you to know, and you're still working on that one. Yes. Okay. I would love to talk to you another time about that one if we could. Yeah. Well, it would be great to have Ben and Noel on too. I, I don't know how, I, who's the, who's the, what's the largest number of people you've interviewed at once for a show? Well, two, two, okay, two well, at a time. 
Well, we could try three. It might get crazy, but you know, three. <laughs> it, it could be fun. <laughs> I may have to come to Atlanta for that. I may be overwhelmed. Sweet. Um, and that would be that would be a great excuse to come visit some of my people in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so we've got lore. We've got cabinet of curiosities. We've got unobscured. All of these I have got in my podcast list. Insomniac is coming out at the end of June, and that I am really interested in. And then we've got the unnamed true crime one on royalty, which sounds great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you, and there's so many more, too. You're so busy. Okay. <laughs> you, I, listen, I thought I was busy. You're, you're, you are busy. It's all good. It's wonderful. Well, tell everybody where they could find out more about um, the Monster series of podcasts and follow you on social media to see all these things that you're working on. Yes, you can go to monster-podcast.com to listen to every episode. You can find out more there. You can also get over to the Atlanta Monster webpage from there, which is atlantamonster.com. You can find us on all the socials. It's usually Monster Pod or something to that ilk, something to that like. Uh, you can, we, we, you know, we ha- still have a call-in number if you want to do that, which is kind of crazy to think about, but you can make that happen and you can find that number out there. I don't, I can't tell you right off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, you know, listen to it on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay. That's awesome. And what about you? Do you want people to follow you? No, I'd really stay <laughs> off. I stay off of the social media as much as I possibly can. Okay. I, really I, lo- I love that. I love that. I, uh, I've interviewed a few people that are like, no, I don't think so. I don't want anybody to follow me. <laughs> it's it's really at this point it's almost like a whole other job that uh yes. that never leaves you cuz your phone is always there. So <laughs> It absolutely is and then you get that stress of maybe you missed something or somebody wrote something and you forgot to reply and then you mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting. Okay, good. Well, but people can find all the stuff about um Tinderfoot TV and Monster's podcast on all the various social media sites as well. And they're all linked up there on that um, website as well. I saw it. Yes, everything, everything's there. Tenderfoot.tv. Okay, great. Well, I look forward to talking to you again about some of these other podcasts, and I appreciate you talking with me today. Oh, hey, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mary Ping. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And remember, you can follow me on all social media at Pain in the Pod, and you can zip over to Patreon slash Pain in the Pod if you want to get some bonus content there. And remember, the five-star rating and review, I know I say it every time, but it's important. So I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. 